Welcome to Stay Gold, an Outsiders podcast. I'm Sam Mulberry, and I am joined by... Esme Mulberry. Esme, we are watching our way through the 2005 release of The Outsiders, the complete novel, a film by Francis Ford Coppola, his reworking of his 1983 film, The Outsiders. Um, But we're doing it five minutes at a time, so in five-minute segments. We have reached the 50-minute mark, so today we're going to be talking about the 50-minute mark till the 55-minute mark of the film. Um, Before we jump into talking about the five minutes, however, uh, we should catch up on where we were last time in a little segment we call previously on Stay Gold. Okay, so in the last five minutes... Um, it starts with Ponyboy having a dream about his brothers and kind of wishing he was back home. Um, then, while this is happening, Johnny goes to town to get supplies, and he returns with food, cards, cigarettes, a copy of Gone with the Wind, and Peroxide. Johnny and Ponyboy then cut each other's hair, and Ponyboy bleaches his, and it looks real rough. Does not look good. And at the end of the five minutes... Beginning of a conversation between Ponyboy and Johnny, and Ponyboy starts crying. That's That sets us up exactly where we're going to pick up. We're going to pick up mid-conversation. Now, we should say, in this five minutes, comparing it to the 1983, it's probably roughly the same length, but there's mm-hmm. just different scenes. Like, like he, yeah. he, this is not just a matter of him adding stuff back in, but he actually took out a chunk mm-hmm. of a fairly large chunk of of content from this from this segment. So I know, like this whole conversation that they're about to have is not in the other one. Yes, and it's a long conversation. Yes, it is, and you know, uh, not unimportant. So it is interesting. Like to, we we just watched these two five minutes from the 83 and the 2005 back to back and they kind of give you some they give you different insights into the characters and what their time has been like um up on up on Jay Mountain. So uh to to jump into the into the 5 minutes. So as we said, Pony Boy and Johnny are talking Pony is kind of distraught at this point. Um he's crying and Johnny continues to comfort him. Um Pony talks about how it has it was just last night that Two Bit was joking around at the movie theater, and they were and they walked home with Cherry and Marsha, and they were laying in the lot looking at the stars. Right, so he's saying, which I think I always like these moments in movies or in books where you've been engaging in this for a while, and they remind you about how little time has passed. Yeah, because if you if they don't do this, you can start to think like, yeah, it's been a while since. Uh, since they were at the movies and that, but that's mm-hmm. just that was just last night, and now it's the morning. So this is this is not uh, this is not long after. I mean, it's yeah. probably midday now, I guess, but still mm-hmm. less than twenty four hours um, since you know since they met up with Dally. And I think too, like um, when you actually go with the events of like Johnny killing Bob, that happened in the early morning. So it's technically all happened the same day. Yeah, yeah, a lot of yeah. it. So. Um, so Johnny then kind of gets upset, upset at, at, um, at Pony and he kind of snaps at him and he starts crying himself. So now we have both characters kind of breaking down. He said, you know, he says, well, you just shut up about last night. I killed a kid last night. He couldn't have been more than 17 or 18 years old and I killed him. How would you like to live with that? Um, so what I like about this, which you don't see as much in the 83 version without having this conversation is 
Johnny's reminding you, like, he, whether it's in self-defense or defense of Pony Boy, like, he took a life. Yeah. And that that impacts you, and that probably doesn't go away. Mm-hmm. You know, that's not, that's not, like, it's, 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 it's unlike anything else. You know, I think the, the history of human, uh, human literature, the history of film, the history of human storytelling is all about the impacts of our actions on our lives and this is one of the big things that that haunt somebody so we're getting a little glimpse into kind of the the what is starting to haunt johnny about this so he goes on to say that he didn't mean to do it um that they were drowning pony boy and he just didn't know what to do so at this point we see pony boy kind of return the same favor that johnny did he walks over to him now and puts his arm around him and tries to comfort him uh, and Johnny just sort of goes on, right? And he's he says there sure is a lot of blood inside people, um, which is interesting because, like, again, this is a movie where we don't see the killing; we see the aftermath of the killing. So Johnny's really the only one to to have insight into this. It's like, like, what is it? What is it like to have somebody die at your hands? You know, like, mm-hmm. like that's what he's thinking about, and he's thinking about like. It's, you know, in essence, I think it's it's not as clean and clinical as you might think. And I think, you know, saying there's a lot of blood inside of people, it's it's easy to think about that as a metaphor of, like, he has blood on his hands. You know, he, he, literally, he literally has them or not. Like, someone, someone's death is on his, on his hands um, mm-hmm. and in and, and his conscience. So Ponyboy asks what they're going to do. And Johnny then says, it's all my fault for bringing a 13-year-old kid along. You ought to go home. You can't get in trouble. You didn't kill him. And Pony Boy gets... It's interesting. Pony Boy gets upset about this for, for two reasons. <laughs> you know, one is he says, you know, I'm not 13. I'm 14. I turned 14 a month ago. So he is sensitive about his age, right? Um, but then he also says, you know, I'm as involved in this as you are. Um which is true, I think, to a degree, especially yeah. in terms of at this point fleeing the city with him. Like you're probably an accessory at that point. You know, mm-hmm. if this were to go to if this were to go to trial, he's also a minor, though. Although they're both minors, yeah. So, but I don't know that there would be a lot of um, mercy for someone like like Johnny at this point. If we're thinking about how Hinton kind of lays out the society a little bit, you sort of think like, well, somebody. From the poorer side of town, killing somebody from the richer side of town, there's probably not going to be a lot of, like, social mercy on him. Yeah. Um, So at this point, uh, Johnny gives Pony a hug and tells him that things are going to be all right. So, again, this is a big sequence about them, like, kind of about their relationship, about them comforting each other and needing to find comfort in each other. Mm -hmm. Uh, It's a little... Uh, how would you talk about the performances here? I mean, <sighs> this is hard stuff to do. This yeah, is, this is this is the the kind of acting that's tough to do because they're both crying, they're both needing to work out some big emotions, and you have, you know, a sixteen year old and a twenty two year old, <laughs> you know, actors doing this, and uh, you know, I think there's maybe varying yeah. degrees of effectiveness here. There's some rough crying, honestly. Yeah. Like it's, it's one of the worst 
parts in the movie and it's kind of uncomfortable to watch but like maybe that's almost slightly a good thing because like you shouldn't be comfortable watching them cry yeah yeah but it's also like it's just kind of painful to watch well this is definitely a part where the movie slows down and it gets talky and it gets talky with two of its actors who are maybe not the best in the movie yeah yeah although i think i think machio is is better than he's Hal better here. he's much better um, yeah i mean he's also a more experienced actor at this point as yeah. well um, um there's i went through this scene and i like had the book open i went every single line like how accurate is it? And there was like one line change basically. Hmm. Hmm. And it was um after Johnny says like they were drowning, I didn't know what to do, but then before he says there's a lot of blood in people, he says, I was scared. And I kinda wish they kept that because I just I just like in this story anytime one of the characters talks about being scared because it like shows so much that hmm. these characters actually do have feelings and emotions because they build them up a lot of the times as these like tough guys yeah like tough guys who have kind of hardened and like don't really feel emotion and i think Mm -hmm. it's important to keep the parts where they say i was scared and i think some of that fear is the kind of thing we associate with childhood a lot so it makes it it it, it pulls them back into the childhood that they're actually um that they're actually in um it's interesting to think like i can see why coppola cut this out of the 83 cut of the film yeah um but it's in it. But I also find it interesting that when he re-edited this, that this is something he put back in and was like, "Actually, I want to have this scene. Mm-hmm. I would love to." I mean, if we were if we were able to get him to interview him, I, that's one of the questions I'd love to know. Like, how do you go about making selections for what you keep versus what you take out? Um, because what what he takes out. So okay, well, let's finish this scene up, and then we can talk about what they what 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 he takes out. So. Um, from here, they go over and they sit by the church's wood stove. And there's just a long shot of them both sitting by the fire, kind of snuggled together, right? It's, it is cold. It is, um, they're alone and they're, they're children alone. So they're, you know, and I think this is an mm-hmm. echo of the like, uh, pony boy and soda when they're sleeping, right? And they're putting their arm around each other to keep each other warm. There is sort of this sense of like, these two are brothers in a in a similar kind of way. I think I think that echoes yeah. a little bit because it really does linger on that shot for several seconds. Um, mm-hmm. So I kept thinking, like, is somebody going to say something more? But it is. It really is just lingering on that. And it always like I do like this ending to the scene because it always kind of ends on like, oh, that's kind of nice. That's kind of sweet. Like I like that shot a yeah. lot. Um. So do you want to talk about what gets cut out? Yeah, there's kind of like just different shots of them around the church. There's one where it's like they set up a trap and are like trying to catch a rabbit and then don't do it and then just end up chasing it. Yeah. And then Um, then there's one where they're playing poker. Yeah, there's one where they're playing poker. Um, And in the book, like it does say like after a couple days, like different stuff they ended up doing and one of them was like pony boy owed johnny 150 dollars playing poker or something yeah so 
there's that, but it also is a little unnecessary. Well, and I feel like what those scenes do is it lightens the tone a little bit. Yeah. Because especially like the rabbit one is very playful. The the poker one is funny because it's shot like this serious poker scene, you know, but it's just mm-hmm. it's just these two kids playing. So like I I think I, I wonder if he included those to think about like, well, this is you know, this is targeted at younger people, so maybe we need to lighten lighten the tone and pull out the scene where they talk about how much blood is in a person and instead show them like show them as children. So you get that view. So that gets taken out of this, Mm -hmm. um, in the, the 2005 one. Um, but we see some stuff get added, get added in one scene that, that stays is there's a scene of, um, so after they're sitting by the, by the, the fire, um, then we fade to a shot of Johnny and pony boy sleeping in the church at night um, we see the owl in the church and it hoots at them. Then Pony Boy wakes to the sound of something rustling and kind of scraping outside. Um, he wakes up Johnny um, and and tells him that there's a monster outside. And, and as he's saying this, we see that what it is is it's a pretty big raccoon outside of the church sort of clawing mm-hmm. at the claw, clawing at the wall. Um, and Johnny just goes back to sleep saying it's going to be okay. <laughs> Um, I like this scene. I like part of this scene. Yeah. Partially, this feels like filler. Mm-hmm. Um, but partially, it is. I, I like the the way it makes Pony Boy seem young. Yeah. You know, and and Johnny is like, it's fine. It's like Johnny sounds like a parent who's just like, just go back to sleep. Mm-hmm. Like, it's, there's nothing out there. <laughs> I mean, even if there is something out there, it's nothing that's going to be a danger to us. Just go back to sleep. Yeah, it's it's also a really weird scene based off what happens in the book. Because in the book, like, after they have the whole scene where, like, they're both crying and then they fall asleep. It's like Pony Boy falls asleep with Johnny and they're still, like, kind of hugging each other. And then he wakes up still like that and, like, kind of continues the conversation and he, the conversation starts out the same where he says to Johnny, like, Johnny, are you awake? And then they have, like, the short conversation where Ponyboy's, like, kind of says, like, we're not going to cry anymore. And Johnny's like, yeah, we're getting used to this idea that we're out here by ourselves. And then he ends with the same line of, we're going to be okay. And then that's the scene. So I found this scene in the movie really weird that the first and last line uh-huh. are the same from the book but then what the conversation's about is very different sure sure interesting um so from here we so this is i think that is just a little bit of playfulness that he keeps in yeah we're cutting the other parts out so um from here we fade to a few shots of water outside the church then we start to see the sun come out we hear elvis's milky white way start to play we fade to an exterior shot of the church and now it's daytime so those are just like passage of time kind of yeah. Kind of shots. Um, <clears throat> so then we move to an uh, an interior two shot of Ponyboy and Johnny. So they're both sort of sitting, facing the camera. Um, Johnny or Johnny's on the left. He's eating a bologna sandwich. And Pony is a little bit further behind him, up against the wall. He has his feet up, and he's reading um, from Gone with the Wind. Uh, and... Uh, the passage is about um, the bo- all the bodies of the dead wounded soldiers laid out in the sun. 
Um, and Johnny is listening with rapt attention. This is one of the more famous scenes in the movie Gone with the Wind. Mm-hmm. Um, so I wonder if that's why they picked this scene because the book has a lot of reading of Gone with the Wind, right? Yeah. Yeah. So they so so this scene I feel like is maybe a tip of the cap to cinema history. Mm-hmm. Like it's it is one of the iconic shots of of um of the 1939 film Gone with the Wind. Yeah. And it's also gross, and it's like. You know, it's it's a it's two teenage boys reading this story, and they're commenting on how gross that is. I know. I do kind of love it of just how interested they both seem, and also like kind of delighted with this. But then, like, it's also interesting to think about like a couple days before, because it seems like some time has passed. They saw a dead body and right. are now reading this with this almost kind of enjoyment of like, "Ooh, this is gross. This yeah. is kind of interesting," and it's just. I feel like an interesting way that they mark the passage of time. Yeah, that that's actually a really good point. Yeah, mm-hmm. I hadn't thought about that. Um, I will also say Machio's sandwich work is great here. Yes. He's doing some really good, like, listening and eating and, like, face work while, while uh, uh, C. Thomas Howell is reading. I, I think Machio is particularly good in this scene. Yeah. It also It's also, like, the great... Um, it sounds weird, but, like, he does a good job of, like, being a... A uh, sixteen-year-old. He's eating the sandwich. Mostly, his mouth is closed, but sometimes it's open, and it's just like he just seems like a kid eating a bologna sandwich. Yeah, uh, that sounds weird to say, but he nails it. Yeah, it's, 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 it's kind of great. It's also like kind of funny just to watch his expression in the different parts. Like, I think he does a really good job in that scene too. Yeah, yeah, I love it. So then we fade to sunset, the exterior of the church, and then we go inside and see Pony Boy is still reading, um, but now he's reading about. The gallant soldiers who ride off to battle facing sure death or sure defeat. Uh, and Johnny and, and, and Johnny comments, he's like, gallant, cool guys remind me of Dallas. So he's he's thinking about um, Dally Winston and comparing him to these uh, Civil War Confederate soldiers. And Pony Boy says... He ain't got he he ain't got no more manners than I do. Soda's more like those Southern boys. And Johnny says, "Yeah, and manners and charm too, I guess." But Dallas, he's like, "There's something about Dallas and like gallantry." Mm-hmm. Um, and this is an important part of the book. Yeah, this is it a is. really important part of the book, and this isn't in the '83 film. It's not. Which, so I would say the '83 film makes Gone with the Wind seem like just something to pass time. Mm-hmm. Where in the, can you talk a little bit about the function of Gone with the Wind in the book? Um, in the book, it's like they lean a lot more into this the like idea of gallantry and like what does gallant mean, and in this scene. Johnny actually, like, tells a story and gives a reason, like, why he thinks Dally is gallant. And then, like, later in the book, it's brought up a lot. Um, there's other significance with, like, Gone with the Wind of, like, it almost was something that, like, Pony and Johnny, like, bond over a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, but it really just is a lot of the idea of the gallantry. Yeah, and, and I think, you know, the idea is, and th- this kind of echoes the... Um conversation that pony boy has with cherry very uh, at the concession stand right where it's like you may see things one way but really if you look at it closer things are different yeah you know so it's like dally seems like a hood like a criminal but to the greasers it's like dally is like bold and brave and 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 
courteous and all of these things that yeah. they're like, yeah, like other, you know, and we'll see this because, you know, in, 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 in upcoming scenes, we're going to see that Dally, Dally's the one who got them here. Dally's the one who's going to bring them back out of here. Dally's going to show himself to be what, um, to be what Johnny's saying he is. Yeah. So really important moment in the book, really important moment in the story that gets totally excised from the 83 cut, you know? So, um, so I think that's, that's fascinating to me that, that he put that back in. Cause I, I wonder if, again, I don't know what was the motivations behind this, but if this was a movie that was made for those kids who wrote to him and said, you should, you, this is a movie you should make. I wonder if there are people who said to him over the years, well, you really like, you really cut out the gone with the wind stuff. Yeah. You know, so putting that back in and, and I can, the studio made him cut this movie down by like 40 minutes. So I wonder if he's just like, well, we don't have time for literary criticism in the middle of this movie. So let's just take that out. Yeah. Um, so, so as they're, as they're reading this, um, uh, pony boy, in response to Johnny saying, you know, how gallant Dally is, Pony says that Dally scares him. Yeah. Which is interesting because I don't think we've ever heard Pony Boy express that exactly in the movie. Mm-hmm. In the book, he kind of mentions it a lot in his, like, internal monologue. And then the line in the movie is, Dally's so real, he scares me. Mm-hmm. And that's actually a line in the book, but he doesn't say it out loud because he kind of... In the book, he explains, like, in the narration, how, like, the reason Dally scares him is because the other people in his life are so much more, like, heroes and characters in books he's read, and then Dally's so real Mm. that it scares him. So it's, like, they keep, they put that line in the movie, but then it doesn't really have the explanation. Sure. So it makes a little less sense. Sure, but that may be but, a tip of the hat to book readers to be like, you know what he means, right? Yeah. Yeah, that that's interesting. Um, so then uh, we fade to later, and Ponyboy is still reading as we see Johnny in the background drifting to sleep. We see a lit cigarette fall out of Johnny's hand, and Pony reminds him to watch his smokes. Um, mm-hmm. Foreshadowing. Foreshadowing. <laughs> yes, we've already talked about that church being a tinderbox, um, and that's something to be worried about. Um, <clears throat> so from here, we fade to a silhouette of the church uh, with a really beautiful red-orange sunrise uh, behind mm-hmm. it. Um, and we see Pony's silhouette against the sky. Uh, and we hear a slightly more up-tempo piano and string version of the movie's theme song, Stay Gold, playing in the background. So mm-hmm. no lyrics, but but this is the Stephen Wonder, Carmine Coppola song. So this this stays in the movie at this point. We heard this during the opening credits. So this is, this is playing um, underneath this whole scene that comes up here. Um, we get voiceover. So we talked about voiceover last, I think it was last week we talked about voiceover. Yeah. Um, so here there is a piece of voiceover, and he does... Along with the voiceover in the sky, he superimposes the handwriting of Pony Boy. So it's kind of a reminder that this is a story that Pony Boy is writing. Yeah. Um, and he's writing about this particular moment, this particular scene. So the voiceover um, ta- talks about uh, one morning I woke up earlier than usual. The church was colder than ever. And then we see Johnny's silhouette walk out towards Pony Boys. So. 
he's giving you every indication that this is going to be an important scene. Yeah. <laughs> right? He's 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 added in the voiceover. He's reminded us this is a story Pony Boy's writing. This is a crucial moment. Um, so we fade to Johnny and Pony um, staring at the sunrise. And they're both like bathed in this golden orange light from the sunrise. And Johnny's trying to express how pretty it is. Mm-hmm. And he says, it's like the mist is what's pretty. It's all gold and silver. Too bad it can't stay like that all the time. And we see Pony Voice face taking in what he's seeing and what Johnny's saying. And after a moment of contemplation, he says, nothing gold can stay. And then Johnny kind of turns to him with a confused look. And Pony Boy, Pony Boy starts reciting Robert, Pro, Robert Frost's poem, Nothing Gold can, say, can Stay. So he says the first line, nature's first green is gold. Mm-hmm. And that's where the five minutes ends. Yep. So, I mean, we're, we're getting to the beginning of a crucial scene here. Now, we have talked much earlier in this podcast about how the book has already laid out sunrises and sunsets as uh, this as this important thing. Yeah. Um, because in the book, he and Cherry talk about this. And there is this, this theme that, like, no matter how different we are, the sun rises and the sun sets on all of us. And if the sunrise or sunset is this beautiful thing, mm-hmm. you know, that that is, that is a gift that we all share, something we all take in. And maybe there are other things that we share as well. So it's a symbol of, like, maybe we're not all that different. And it's why the East and West thing is so Yes, <laughs> it's why it matters. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <sighs> So, so that is our that is our five minutes. Um, as may you talked a bit about the book. We've talked a lot about the eighty three movie. Mm-hmm. Talked a bit about the book. Um, anything else you would say in terms of thinking about how this scene either uh, connects with the book or takes things out of the book? Um, I kind of talked about some more of the main things in the last scene of the beginning, you know, like the nothing gold can stay scene. There's a little change of in the book they talk about how like they were sitting on like the back of the steps like the back steps of the church Mm -hmm. and how they never went to the front because there was like a road there okay so i think in the book they do change it where like there are scenes of them outside and like doing stuff where in the book it's much more like yeah they don't leave um so that's changed a little bit and that's interesting because it you do get the sense that this church is literally like almost on top of jay mountain yeah. And it doesn't seem like there's any road there. Like, who would have ever built a church here? It's a very strange mm-hmm. place for a church. Um, yeah. And so so, so I guess that is that is one of the things that I wondered about with the setting is it's it just – it's a little strange. Yeah. Um, that, that we don't get a sense. Although, we'll see in the next scene that there is a road that goes here. Yeah. Um, it's just – it's just we've never been given a good – geography of this place uh-huh yeah i think that's big um so really like a lot of the conversations they have like i had the book open and was looking at every single line and reading it as they were saying and most of it is like exactly what they say um there's a couple of changes like in the gallant conversation there's a whole story johnny says that's cut out which makes sense because you don't really need it I would have liked that though. But, yeah, I would have liked that because it. I feel like it emphasizes the importance of that moment. Yeah. Where otherwise, it, there's so much that happens in passing where it's like, wait, was that an important thing or mm-hmm. not? So, you know, in the same way, I think that 
the cherry pony boy scene in the concession stand getting them to actually talk about the sun sunrises sunsets like that would have been nice in the same way i I think if we could have got a little bit of that i would have liked that but i get it yeah um so i maybe you give this like a seven because there is a lot of like staying true to the book and saying the exact lines but then there's just moments that like they don't emphasize them enough or like just feel different um so you get a little different message from it than in the book. Sure, sure. No, absolutely. That, I think that makes that makes perfect sense. Should we do a little deep dive? Yeah. All right. So I was struggling with with what to do for a deep dive for this one because we don't get any new actors in this uh, in this scene. Um, it's it really is just uh, just Pony Boy and um, and Johnny. So at first I thought. I wonder if that raccoon has an IMDb page <laughs> that I could go figure out if he's been in other things. But then um, I decided, you know what? This scene, actually this whole five minutes, we get a lot of different uh, time settings within the same uh, five minutes. There's mm-hmm. a lot of day, a lot of night. We get this, the sunrise. Um, we get the like the nighttime and all this stuff. So I thought, you know, maybe I should look at who the cinematographer for this, uh, this movie was and see if, you know, is, is that somebody interest, interesting to take a look at? So the cinematographer's name is Stephen Burham. Um, and, uh, Esme, do you have a sense of what cinematography is or what the cinematographer does? Not really. He's the person who's in charge of the lighting and the cameras. Okay. So it is, it is like the person who, uh, they're often called the director of photography, the DP on an, on a, on a film would be the, the cinematographer or the chief cinematographer. So they're the ones who like are really in charge of what the actual picture looks like, what the lighting is like, um, things like that, selecting the cameras, the film stock, the lenses, stuff like that. Um, so, so, uh, Stephen Burham is the cinematographer for, uh, for the Outsiders, he graduated from UCLA's uh, School of Theater, Film, and Television in the 1960s. Uh, he was drafted into the Army and made uh, training films for the Army. This will, this would have been during the, I assume, late 60s, early 70s, so sort of during the Vietnam era. Um, when he got out of the service, he returned to uh, uh, California and started to work on commercials, television, low-budget films, things like this. Uh, in 1976, he connects with Francis Ford Coppola for the first time. So he does some work on um, Apocalypse Now, does some second unit um, shooting for uh, for Apocalypse Now. In 1982, he got his first job as a director of photography on, on a major motion picture in the film The Escape Artist. In 1983, he serves as the, the DP for both The Outsiders and Rumblefish. So both Coppola, S.E. Hinton films um, he, gets to, uh, he gets to work on. Uh, he's gone on to serve as DP on 32 films, working with pretty prominent filmmakers like Joel Schumacher, Ivan Reitman, Hal Ashby, Hal Ashby, and Brian De Palma. Um, he worked. He's actually worked on eight Brian De Palma films, so he becomes De Palma's uh, main cinematographer for you know between 1984 and 2000. He, he does eight De Palma films. Um, in 1980, he won an Emmy for his work on the TV series Cosmos. Uh, he was three times nominated for the uh, Association 
uh, our American uh, Society of Cinematographers uh, Award for Outstanding Achievement in Cinematography for 1987's The Untouchables, for 1989's The War of the Roses, and for 1992's Hoffa. And he won that award for Hoffa. And he, and he was also in 1992 nominated for an Oscar for cinematography, uh, also for the movie Hoffa. So I'm always looking for Oscar winners attached to, uh, attached to the outsider. So the, our cinematographer who, you know, is again, may, in, in this five minutes, we see a lot of choices being made about light and, um, especially as we move through different times of day in this, uh, in this setting. So I, you know, I think this is actually, by and large, a pretty good-looking film. Yeah. Um, so, uh, so that we would tip the hat uh, to Stephen Burham, the cinematographer. All right. Should we uh, give out some awards here? Yeah. All right. So, who won the five? Um, I have very few people on this list. Um, so, I'm going to give you my list of five. You can add somebody else if you can think of someone. Um, we obviously have Ralph Macchio and C. Thomas Howell because they are two main actors here. Um, we could throw Margaret Mitchell. She gets quoted multiple times. Passages of Gone with the Wind being read. Um, and then I like you have the owl and the raccoon. Like those are the other two featured players we could say in this five minutes. Um, oh. Do you have a thought here? It's hard. I really like in the first scene don't like see Thomas Howell. Yeah. I don't like his crying. It made me feel uncomfortable. I don't like it, but in other moments he's good. Um, but I do feel like Ralph Macchio like has some really good acting moments in it too. Yeah, I feel like I feel like I'm with you. I feel like Macchio's better in the crying scenes. Neither of them are great, but he's better. Yeah, Macchio's sandwich work is tip top. It's so yeah. good. Yeah, I I really. I, again, I think he's just a better actor than C. Thomas Howell. Yeah. So so like when when the two of them are paired. He just is better at it. I mean, I like. I feel. Yeah. I feel bad. I. You know. We again. We we shouldn't look at these and think about who's won in the past. But uh, we've now. We're now like half crossed the halfway part uh, point of this movie, and our lead has yet to even really sniff winning the five at any point. Yeah. Um. But I think that's okay. I really do think this is a movie about an ensemble, and arguably Machio is co-lead in this movie. Um, I mean, I think that the role of Johnny in, in the book and in the movie is almost as big as Pony Boys. Um, yeah. Uh, there's a point where his screen time will diminish a great deal, but we're not there yet. He's mm-hmm. he's like as much a part of this as, as uh, Howell is. I think he, Pony Boys much more of the main character in the book just because you know his thoughts. But if you actually look at like what they do, they're pretty much the same. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, um, I that was that was like a softer who won the five. I feel like I feel yeah. like like if 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 the raccoon was in probably thirty more seconds, if he had gotten into the church, maybe the raccoon oh. wins the five. Yeah, I actually really like the shot that the raccoon's in. Yeah, yeah, but uh, probably not in it enough to yeah to uh, to take it. But that would be interesting if we had just a <laughs> random stage animal win the uh, uh, win the award here. Um, let us know your thoughts. Channel 3900 at gmail.com. Do you think C. Thomas Howell deserved to win the five? Do you think the raccoon or the owl deserved to win the five? Um, let us know. Email us, channel 3900 at gmail.com. That is all the time that we have. But we will be back next week to talk about minute 55 to minute 60. Until then, stay gold. <laughs> <laughs>